KYW Original Podcasts. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic in Philadelphia, subscribe to KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The coronavirus pandemic from KYW In-Depth. I'm Matt Leon. We did an earlier podcast on how the pandemic is going to change the design of offices going forward. We wanted to kind of drill down on the idea of design a little more, but this time narrow our focus to healthcare spaces, hospitals, urgent care, your local doctor's office. How is this pandemic experience we are going through right now going to change the way they are all designed? We reached out to Aaron McCarthy with Francis Kaufman Architects. He specializes in healthcare design. We talk about what the trends were in healthcare design prior to the pandemic, the real-time changes he's seeing and making, and what he expects going forward. Really interesting stuff. Give a listen. So let's start by going back in time. Take me back to, say, late February, early March, before the world got turned upside down. What were the trends in the design of, of healthcare spaces? What were the things that, that people wanted and, and where were, where was, what was focused on? Well, I think most of, of healthcare in the last 10 years has been trending towards uh, the outpatient setting. So this, only the sickest of patients would be found in inside the inpatient setting or a large hospital setting. So the complexity of procedures was going to an outpatient setting. Hospitals have been really been focused on ensuring that um, they give the best care and that their patients view them in the best possible light. So patients, it was really a patient-centered environment. And most recently in the last couple of years, um, there's been a, a, a much larger shift towards uh, creating healthcare spaces that um, accommodate the caregiver. A lot more. So you're seeing, and this is as, as is as a result of burnout that the industry is seeing across the board. About um, a little more than thirty percent of all caregivers in the United States um, have been considering a career change because of the stress associated with with the uh, medical environment. So um, hospitals and health systems have recognised that and, and have made moves to ensure the health and wellness of uh, of not only the patient but also caregivers. Um, you know, you'll see some health systems will have a mission statement. One of my clients, uh, their mission statement is be well, get well and stay well. So instead of focusing on treating the conditions, and a lot of them are pre-existing conditions that go back many generations or might have even been hereditary, but they've been trying to focus on keeping people well, getting people well so that they don't have to treat their illnesses later on in life. Um, so their mission, with that mission statement, it's a very important idea that you're, you're, you're treating the whole, the whole patient and not just what they're presenting with. So those trends, you know, those trends continued. Obviously, with this current pandemic, things have shifted in the hospital setting. And um, the most obvious thing that, that has taken place is the stress upon the frontline caregivers in the emergency department. So I'm currently involved in the design of, of several um, emergency departments and we're actively making changes not only to the design but I'm also under construction in several instances where changes are being made to those designs to accommodate uh, the lessons learned from the caregivers of the front lines of this pandemic. And that kind of dovetails right into my next question. If you Could you share some of those changes? What are some of the, the things that you kind of do specifically with these these projects you talk about that are kind of on the table right now? Sure. Well, one of the one of the most important things that we saw was um, obviously when Ebola was a concern, you know, 
couple of hospitals created what they refer to as Ebola units, which are dedicated negative pressure rooms, special spaces to put on protective equipment. And then obviously we, we didn't get the spread of the Ebola virus that we anticipated, but some of these spaces were still existing. When this, this pandemic first began to show in February and March, the emergency departments were seeing overwhelming numbers of patients. The first thing they did was try to create zones within their emergency department to separate COVID-positive patients from COVID-negative or unknown patients to try and make sure that there wasn't cross-contamination. Unfortunately, these, many of these EDs became overwhelmed and the transition between the clean and dirty areas dissolved very rapidly. And, and uh, the triage process, um, you know, because, the, because of testing took so long, a lot of the patients were backing up and just waiting around, waiting for the test to be confirmed. So that was a, a serious problem for EDs. The most noticeable thing from the, for the, from the public standpoint to really highlight the emphasis was the large refrigeration trucks that were brought, being brought into hospitals to, to, deal, to take care of the deceased. Um, unfortunately, you know, that was just one of many, many changes that hospitals were making to adapt to the current situation. You know, the, gov- the federal government also relaxed many of their regulations. So hospitals went into a crisis mode to try and create COVID units, and they're still doing them today. They're still uh, creating these units, and they still have them on standby. Um, one particular client of mine took two floors of their new building, and they removed the windows so that they could get through wall HEPA filtration um, and negative pressure within the rooms so that the, these patients could be dealt with. But it became a throughput and challenge to make sure that the patients who were, were COVID positive were stable from a respiratory standpoint, could be moved to other portions of the of the hospital, whether it was um, a severe case which required intubation and, and being put on a ventilator or um, just your regular uh, patients that, that could be treated and didn't have any symptoms, the, the walking, the walking sick, so to speak. Um, the other problem with some of the ED patients was your regular patient population. You know, the, the bumps and bruises, the broken bones, the chest pains. These folks, that's a regular ED patient volume was obviously overwhelmed at the same time. So it was a challenge for, for these individual uh, groups to get, um, to get the necessary treatment. One overlooked patient population was what we refer to as the immunosuppressed. So if you're getting cancer treatment and re- receiving chemotherapy, you'll have drugs that suppress your immune system, which means you're very susceptible to catching any of these viruses. So having those individuals present at an ED was extremely dangerous. Um, And so many of the facilities I'm dealing with found that they were not ready to deal with the immunosuppressed patients on top of the COVID-19 patient population. The other thing you'll see is a lot of the pop-up tents. So what we're doing is um, many of our instances going forward in the future we're creating, potentially creating third entrances to the EDs because you've got a walk-in entrance and then you've got an ambulance entrance and we like to keep the two of them separated so that the patient populations don't mix. But we're also considering a third entrance for patients with fevers. So it's a, it's a, it's a protocol where you'll go and you'll get thermally scanned for temperature. You'll have a, hopefully a rapid test. I mean, if the, if the testing picks up and we can get accurate rapid testing, um, you then get redirected into a certain portion of the ED, and the, the ED can ramp up or scale up depending on the number of COVID-positive tested cases that they're receiving. The other big change that's taking place within hospitals is, is, and this is to your point, Matt, about the fact that many times pandemic preparedness was overlooked from a budget standpoint because it was expensive, is the HVAC systems, the air pressure systems within hospitals. You know, this COVID-19 virus is 
purported to be about 0.01 microns, 0.1 microns to 0.3 microns. And that means that it sometimes can hit you, hit you right on larger particles in the air. The filtration systems, the HEPA filtration systems within hospitals are usually only reserved for um, the sterile environments. So operating rooms, anything to do with surgical, anything to do with open wounds. So hospitals are rapidly reevaluating their HVAC systems to see how they can create more negative pressure spaces throughout, you know, typically emergency departments or other places like that would only have one or two negative pressure isolation rooms in case they had a, a patient with something that could be contagious. But now they're looking looking to create spaces that um, are entirely negative pressure. So air delivery would be delivered over the nurse's station and drawn through the individual patient rooms. So I think in the future, we'll see a lot less of the open bay treatment EDs um, and more uh, dedicated private rooms so that the, the viruses and the pressures can, can be controlled within those rooms. So that's, that's really, I mean, the, the most important thing is being able to keep their patients safe and, and obviously dealing with the patient volumes uh, like, like they've never seen before. Uh, real quick, you've mentioned several times negative pressure. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to the layman? So a negative pressure space means that um, more air is being pulled out of the space that has been delivered into it. Traditional HVAC systems have a supply air, which means it's blowing air on you, and then a return air, which means it's sucking air out of the room. When you turn off the supply air, it means it's just pulling air out of the room. So in theory, what you're doing is any aerosolized uh, virus that's contained is floating in the air is pulled from that room. Uh, and then clean air is naturally absorbed into the room from other spaces adjacent to it. So that's what negative a negative pressure space is created. What do all these changes, shifts in focus, I would imagine this would make these buildings more expensive, these designs more expensive because you're kind of adding more things to it, basically? There is, there is some expense associated with it, but I think in the, in the long term, the cost, both in human and financial terms, uh, has been massive. I think the cost is it's a learning curve for us, and I think it will, these systems will be naturally built in to the inpatient healthcare setting. I think going forward, just as, as you see in, in Asia and Europe, um, you will see new technology being employed in not only um, hospitals and outpatient settings and doctor's offices, but also inpatient settings. You'll be thermally scanned. So you'll have a machine that will take your temperature as you enter the room. And if you've got a, an elevated fever, you'll be directed either out of the building or to another another location. So keeping um, patients with fevers out of the clinical environment is, is, is a really big important. You see them at airports nowadays. They try to protect people from getting on planes with fevers. Um, so that's one of the big changes you'll see is the thermal scan technology. And that's been employed in, in a lot of hospitals already. Kind of going along with that, we've talked a lot about hospital stuff like that. Do you anticipate, and I know that's your real area of expertise is the, mm-hmm. ur- the urgent care and hospital stuff. For the the doctor's office that we go to once, twice a year for a physical stuff like that, if we've got a stomach bug, do you think there will be significant changes to how those areas are designed as well? There is. There's got to be some some noticeable changes. Obviously, the traditional caregiver patient um, setting is the exam room. So um, we're doing a lot of studies whereby uh, we're trying to uh, understand when you step into an exam room from, from your processing, obviously a lot of it's going to go telemedicine. We already know that where telemedicine is here 
you know, you've got your remote caregiver, you can see your physician, although he can't touch you and take your temperature, that technology, that wearable technology is coming soon. But on normal doctor's offices, um, the shape and size of those exam rooms is being carefully studied because traditionally we never wanted a doctor to have the ability to turn his back on a patient. So when we put computers in those exam spaces, you wanted the patient-physician interaction to always be eye contact. Physician enters the room, washes his hands, and that's been protocol for a long, long time. Every exam space has a, has a hand sink for that reason is to prevent infection uh, is to create infection control. So um, the relationship between the table that the patient sits on and the distance to the caregiver is really important. You know, the, obviously the patients want to get as close as possible to the doctors and the doctors do need to touch them. But in this era of distancing, um, we know that this is not going to be the last COVID we see. You know, I think hospitals are preparing for um, many more novel viruses that will come down the line. We've seen MERS, we've seen SARS, we saw a little Ebola, uh, but COVID will be the first of, of many. So, so shaping space to be able to create social distance is going to be very important. And that's not only just on the healthcare side, that's also in office spaces, everything, everything we interact with on a daily basis. And is that really kind of a, a driving force now in healthcare design that these types of situations are things that are going to be a part of society long term so it's not just looked at as a get us through this crisis but we should have these things in place because we're probably going to be here again at some point that's correct yeah i mean the 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 social distancing aspect is really important because you can see um you know how many caregivers have gotten infected um while treating patients and um i think the the motto the medical motto first do no harm is really important but we realize if our caregivers become ill, then their ability to care is greatly diminished. So I think creating creating healthcare environments that not only protect the patient, but also protect the caregiver is vitally important for all of the institutions that currently deliver care, whether it's on the inpatient setting in a hospital, in a bed, or on the outpatient setting in a doctor's office, physician office, you know, even right down to um, dental practices. Anything that has very close interaction is going to be studied for how we can change and how we can protect our caregivers in the future. Are most of these, and we've talked about a lot of different changes, ideas, things that are being implemented. Are these all things that had always kind of been discussed, but they're because there wasn't the urgent need, they maybe got pushed aside or they were the, one of the first things eliminated when you came down to from design to production, stuff like this? Or are we really in a phase here where we're creating new things on the fly that hadn't really been considered before? Well, probably the air delivery systems is the is the one that is um, most impacted. As I said, most inpatient settings would have a negative isolation room or two. The concept of providing entirely negative spaces is something that I believe will be with us. The thought is that we will create regular, it's very expensive, obviously, to create negative pressure spaces because if you've got 90 degree weather outside and you're drawing all of the cool air out of the building, how do you actually maintain a building temperature and relative humidity? So, you know, I think we're going to have what we're seeing on the HVAC side, the mechanical side, is that they will have what they refer to as an economizer cycle where they will be able to flick, flick a switch. So you'll have your regular operation, supply in, supply out, conditioned air, HEPA filtration is needed when it's needed. And then you'll have in pandemic situations, the ability to, 
to go to fully exhausted air so that all the air is drawn out of these departments and these areas? And, you know, how do you create the ductwork and the mechanical systems to be able to deal with those pandemic situations? So we won't be we won't always be using mechanical systems in those fashions, but we need to have the um, the infrastructure in place. So my current projects are all looking at not only the ones in design, but also in construction are looking for um, uh, for the design associated with making modifications. So the systems work the way they need to work in pandemic situations in the future. How much of a challenge is all this? From a purely architectural standpoint, from what you do, how much of a challenge has been changing on the fly, working these changes in, and as we talked earlier, working them in where they're financially viable as well? Well, obviously, from a financial standpoint, it's a lot cheaper to make these changes in a design situation rather than in a construction situation. Everybody knows that, you know, you you measure twice and cut once. But from a design standpoint, a simple design that we're seeing is, is, is the first caregivers, when they enter an emergency department or they enter a doctor's office, the first person that they see, we don't want it to be somebody in a full hazmat suit. That's just scary and that's not, that's not an appropriate care setting, yet you want to protect them. So hospitals are studying how um, the first caregivers interact with the patient, whether it's um, them sitting behind a desk and they have full visibility of that patient. So they can see the patient coming from 10, 12, 6 feet away, and they can you know, visually assess the patient, realizing that this patient may have either a, a chest pain and could be a potential heart attack or has a fever or has some other visible condition. So, and, and then limiting the front, front line, you know, in an emergency department, there's many different operational models. There's the, um, you know, the, the fast track, there's the treat model, there's the pivot nurse model, which is one caregiver that kind of carries you through the, the entire process. Um, so we're seeing changes um, from the design standpoint about how caregivers actually interact with individual patients. But from a financial standpoint, it's much easier to, to make these modifications, um, not only on the physical built environment, the design side, but also on the what they refer to as the, the employee side, the caregiver side. How many caregivers interact with a patient as soon as they've been diagnosed COVID positive or COVID negative or viral negative? You know how their the patient handoff. Um, it's been a challenge throughout all health systems to make sure that they don't lose the patient. Sometimes patients in EDs will get left alone for a long time with no touch points, never knowing what's happening, never knowing what their test results are, never knowing if they're going to go to radiology or imaging. So, it, making sure that the patient is always um, is always visible, is always connected with. Um, it's a, it's really really important for those those folks. The other change we're seeing, as I'm thinking of it, that's rapidly happening now is is um, hospitals and health systems are taking advantage of the fact that many of their departments um, are not currently seeing a lot of patients. So aged equipment such as imaging equipment, um, CT scans, MRIs, cath equipment that is lying idle because m- much of it is not used. They're, they're taking this opportunity to change that equipment out, which is really important. It's a big portion of the work that I do. But we have seen a lot of projects uh, suddenly come alive that the equipment needs to be replaced, and they're doing it in a rapid fashion. And final question, and I don't know if if you have an answer to this, but one of the – and I hate to use the word fascinating because so many people are hurting and out of work and everything, but this has led to a lot of unique problems in all different walks of life. Has this presented anything from a health design standpoint that you never thought you would have to address? Or is there anything that maybe isn't an issue now 
but you could see becoming an issue five, ten years from now because of what the moment we're going through now? Well, I think the, the most obvious change that we're seeing is the way patients are being treated as they approach an ED. Um, I never thought I would see the day when treatment for emergency department patients is actually taking place in the parking lot. The idea is that you don't, you don't actually get um, sick patients engaged in a building, into a building. So we actually, we've actually taken the treatment of, of patients outside. So there's a lot of design thought given to the effects of fresh air, the ability to treat patients, the having caregivers separated from patients, being able to test them in the open. And obviously creating a tented environment, you know, it's, it's not new to the society, but, but having it as, as, a, as a forefront of, of emergency department design is, is rather fascinating. You know, with COVID-19, a lot of patients remain very, very ill. They remain in intensive care on respirators. Just making sure that the environments for intensive care are really bolstered is very important going forward. As I said to start this, you know, the shift has been to the outpatient setting and only the highest acuity or sickest patients would remain in the hospital. But that, that model is being challenged uh, rapidly as this disease has taken a hold and um, the need for medical care delivery has become forefront in everyone's lives. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic here in the Philadelphia area, or if you want to know how what you see or hear on the news is going to change your own life or your own routine, then subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. Search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. My name is Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. Thank you.